Welcome back to season two of the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast, equipping you to successfully pursue the college of your dreams. We believe everyone deserves to reach their full potential and the admissions process shouldn't hold you back. Welcome back everyone to the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast. I'm really excited again because we've had this guest before and I know how valuable her opinions and her expertise can be for our students and for the parents who are listening in. We have Ishida Koparapu again a year ago. Ishida, you and I met basically for the first time and talked about with your parents. We had a a little meeting there and, and talked about the things that you were struggling with. And I've just been so thrilled with all of the many updates that I've gotten over time, especially recently from you, all of the progress that's been made. And and I thought, wouldn't this be a great time to just have this conversation and say, what a difference a year can make. Um, And so Ishida, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your story. And and, uh, can we begin just right at the beginning for those who haven't heard one of your previous podcast episodes with me, could you share with the audience who you are, and what life was like about a year ago. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I remember when we first met, too, about a year ago, and I was, like, very lost, sort of didn't have – I had a sense of direction, but I wasn't very clear with with exactly what I wanted to do. And I was struggling in in school. I was having a hard time, you know, keeping up with with the coursework. And then now when I look back at that, I I see a completely different person. And I'm like, wait, where did where did I come from? (laughs) And so it makes me just it, it just amazes me to like reflect on my on my one year. And it just like it. I'm just so surprised at myself. So. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, so fun. And and you were such a hard worker already. It's not like it's not like you needed to learn self-discipline or hard work. You were working really hard, but just frustrated because I I remember the discussion being about, you know, I'm at a really competitive school and all of my peers are doing all these amazing things, and who am I and how am I going to stand out and I don't have any direction and I just felt kind of lost. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. uh you know, it's been fantastic. All right. So that was a year ago. Uh, We went through the entire course together, but you didn't stop at the end of 12 weeks because, of course, we continue working together in the community uh, for, for, you know, after those 12 weeks finish, of course. But not everyone stays as engaged as you and really just knocks it out of the park. And so um, I'm excited to hear this story for a number of reasons. First of all, just for those of you who are listening in, my own students, I think this is a really valuable story to hear because when we finish those 12 weeks, we go through your, your you know, core values, figure out your core values. Phase two, we get into your impact project. Phase three, how do you communicate that unusual self-awareness and unusual community impact to the admissions officer? All of that is really exciting and there's tons of momentum we meet every single week. And then it can be so easy to get caught up in, you know, your busy schoolwork and everything else. And kind of let go of the stuff that matters most. Let go of the impact project and let go of everything else. But you did not do that, Ishida Koparapu. <laughs> you have been awesome. And so could could you just share maybe a, a, a brief kind of catch us up to how you got to where we are today? I know you have new updates that we've never heard before. But again, for those who haven't heard your story yet, uh, what happened as you, what did you discover during the class and what kind of happened immediately following as you 
grew into the person that you are today? Yeah, so I think when I started the cohort, it was a little unorthodox. I was in like a weird position because I had sort of developed my impact project, which was a little ahead of everyone else that was starting the cohort, but I was still very new to everything. I didn't really know where else I wanted to take it next. I didn't really have a structure formed yet. I knew I wanted to develop it a lot and like continue working on it even after high school, but I didn't know exactly how that would look like. Um, And so going through the cohort, that really sort of helped me figure out what are my core values? Why am I doing this? So it's sort of working backwards. Um, and so that was really interesting to, to sort of do the backwards version, <laughs> whereas everyone else is you know doing this for the first time. Um, so that was that gave me a lot of clarity, actually, on like why I wanted to do what I wanted to do, which my impact project, I should probably give um, the listeners a little bit of insight into what it is. So I started a nonprofit organization called STEM Power Her, and it strives to bring more young girls into the STEM field through uh, interactive activities, free, um, free sort of events that we do um, in my area. And so that is sort of what I've been working on for the past year almost now. Yeah. Um, and so coming from there and then leaving the cohort, I, I felt a lot more determined to work on those steps and I kind of kept at it and it, and it just blossomed into something that I, I'm very proud of today. <laughs> yeah. Well, with good reason, with really, really good reason. Okay. So, uh, and, and one last bit of information that uh, maybe people who are listening for the first time don't know is you also have over a thousand laboratory hours logged at Case Western. And mm-hmm. so you've done really advanced research in a laboratory with a PI, with a team, and it's a real deal. And a lot of that has informed your ability to take, you know, take what you've learned in the laboratory and what research actually is and how we go from textbooks into a laboratory and and, uh, that whole process because of your your intimate, you know, inside information about that, you can then go share that with your STEM Power Her community. Um, And you also didn't just stop with helping out middle school uh, students, right? You also built a board, you've got a, you've raised funds, you've competed in competitions and earned money. Um, And so I don't know how much you want to get into some of that stuff as well, but that organization and that growth has also just happened over the last six, seven, eight months. It's been, I feel like a a whole lifetime ago. For me, it does. Like I remember the first, hey, I I talked to so-and-so and and they're willing to help out in this and, and like literally have not even done your first camp. And that really feels like 20 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> it's not 20 years ago. And so because you've done so many things since then. Uh, but I don't know, do you want to share a little bit about what it's like to build a team around you? Uh, a lot of your high school peers are supporting you because of the way that you've led that. And I think for a lot of my listeners, that might be helpful to just kind of, oh, that's a good idea. I could do that. Yeah, yeah. So um, I did my first camp all by myself, um, where I I started this, I I created the curriculum, did like the marketing, and I taught, I did everything by myself. And that was just very overwhelming. Um, So I realized, reflecting upon that, if I wanted to really grow this, I needed more people to help me um, 
grow the organization and, and do what I wanted to do with it, which was bring more girls into STEM. And I knew I couldn't do that by myself because there was just way too much work and too much on my plate. Um, and so I recruited some of my close friends to, to help me out who also had like a keen interest in teaching um, and just wanting to help the community. And so uh, they sort of took up those executive possession positions that I have um, now. And so I have a team about five, six people that work alongside me. And then I have a board of advisors that are strong, amazing women in STEM that can really help me with the curriculum, with the marketing. Um, and, and it's just, it's sort of become such an amazing team that I get to work with on the daily. And um, without even realizing it, I, I actually formed a team full of women of color, which was extremely empowering to see, which it just happened so unexpectedly. And when I noticed it, I was like, this is this is amazing. I mean, we have so many amazing women with amazing talents working to bring this organization forward. And so, um, yeah, so I've been learning a lot about what it's like to manage um, team members and sort of what it's like to lead an entire team and also work with a board of advisors, which has been very interesting, um, and what kind of tasks go where. So um, I've been learning to let go a little and just sort of train people more than take everything on myself, which I think is really hard when you're so connected to what you're doing. Um, so that's been that's been very interesting. But yeah, I think that's been one of my key takeaways, trying to let go and delegate rather than put everything back on my plate when I have these people helping me out. Yeah. Oh, there's so much there that is so valuable, Ishida, because a lot of people listening in can probably think, oh, you know what? I do have three or four friends that are kind of go-getters and would mm -hmm. love to have a position in an organization. And if I form that organization, they can be the director of this or that, and we can work together to accomplish something special. And we both benefit or all of us benefit in our college applications. And then you went one step further, which I love, and you went and recruited an advisory board. And these are, you just mentioned that it happened to be really powerful, wonderful women of color. Uh, but anyone who you know, has aspirations to, to form a team to help solve a problem that matters to you can, can hear that and say, wow, wonder what I could do with that. And so one of the themes and one of the keys to your success as I see it is your willingness to just ask for help, your willingness to network, your willingness to reach out. Um, in the Ivy League Challenge, we have all the templates and we have the email scripts and, and the, you know, not just scripts for, for your email, but once you get on the Zoom call and everything else, but not everyone takes that and says, okay, I'll be brave and I'll send this email out and I'll jump on a Zoom call with some doctor somewhere or some CEO or some government leader. Um, and then some people do. And we've interviewed others in the past, like Minna, who talked to the mayor and who you know spoke at the school board meeting, um, presented her research. Like, like we've, we've seen students do this before, but could you speak a little bit to how it is that you get yourself to the point that, or, or maybe, maybe before you were a little nervous about reaching out to experts and what did you discover and how did you kind of overcome that, I don't know, internal friction, that internal resistance to, uh, to just being bold and asking people to join your team? How, how could you walk us through that 
experience of yours? Yeah, yeah. So I think, um, honestly, I think the easiest part is just asking because the worst that could happen is they say no. Like, honestly, that's the worst that an email, just sending an email could could do to you. Um, and maybe, maybe that's just how I see it, but I think it gets a little harder. The hard part is when they're like, yes, I would love to help. How can I help? Um, because then you really have to form a connection and then think of things and make sure, you know, you're keeping up with, with the sort of things that they want to help with. And then that's the hard part in my opinion. Um, so the worst an email can do is just, they just reject you and they're like, nope, we can't help you. Um, and, and so I think that's just how I see it personally. Uh, and I really, got into this perspective after I sent my first email, which was to a, um, to this woman that it was a organization that they had a van, um, and it was called the STEM on the go van. And they, um, they basically have like an engineering lab inside in built in the van. I remember me the email and, and saying, Hey, what do you think of this? Before I send it off, you're really, really careful. And by the way, I haven't gotten any of those kind of emails from you in a really Time that say, can you just check my email and see if it makes sense and see if it's the right thing? You, you've obviously I remember those emails though for the for the stem on the van go on the go van. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and fortunately, the that first email that I had oh, probably the one that I can remember that I ever sent asking for like if they could come and and do this camp with us was a yes. And so that immediately boosted my spirits. But um, even if it was a no, I feel like that first step was what kind of helped me be like, okay, I can, I think I can do this. Um, and like you said, I, I never, I, I don't think I, I don't remember sending you an email draft ever again after that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think that that's just the, the way that I see, it. I think the first, the easiest step is sending the actual email. The hard part is when they say yes, <laughs> then, then it gets a little tough. Oh, that's so good. So good. So for those of you listening in, do the thing. It's yeah. a thing uh, because we feel so scared before we take that action. And then Ishida, what you're telling me, if I'm understanding correctly, is uh, the hardest part is just that first time that you do the thing. And yes. you do it and, and maybe just do it saying, oh, I'm excited to get a no just so I can have this done with. Yeah. Uh, and if you get a yes, wow, well, now the fun begins. But if you get a no, then it's just exactly what you expected. So now you're over it. Now go ahead and and, and continue networking. But yeah. I, I really feel like you've developed a knack for networking with people. Um, I know that you've networked not just with the STEM on the go van, but you've, you've gone into like national or international media publication editors and you've talked to yeah. really... <laughs> I, I just love how this has evolved. Could you sh just share over this year what you've learned about networking? Because like we just discovered together, like that first email was really your first time trying to network outside of your school. So so what have you learned and, and what have you maybe share some highlights and then and then some takeaways for people who are feeling like it's totally not possible to get anyone to reply to them ever? Yeah. So initially I just started off by like, doing research and figuring out, okay, this person seems cool to send an email to. And then I sort of realized there, there's some tricks and things that I sort of picked up on, on how to, it's almost like investigation. You have to like connect the dots. Um, and so one of the 
podcast interviews that I got, I got through Instagram, which led me to like LinkedIn, which led me to Spotify. It was, it was a huge, like maze of maze of things. And so, um, I've definitely evolved in, in figuring out and getting those contacts now. Cause I, I, I watch all of the, all of the social media, everything that we do. I, I am always watching who's following me. Is this someone of value that I could connect with? And I've DM'd so many people that have like followed my Instagram page on the uh, first empower her and seen, okay, this is such a valuable organization that's following me. I should reach out and see, maybe we can collaborate in some way. Um, and so it's sort of, taken me a while to sort of get that confidence and get that eye to look for those kinds of things. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned the editorial, um, the magazine sort of internationally and nationally um, chief and editor in chief that I um, networked with, which I met him at a summit. And I was like, this is great. So I connected with him on LinkedIn. And then I messaged him about my organization. And um, he gave me some valuable feedback on how to grow it in, in the media perspective, because that's where his expertise were. So even though I did yeah, get advice was very different from what you expected. And yeah, really, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Um, and so, you know, someone of that stature to be even looking at my message and responding was such a big thing for me, I called it a win. And I was like, this is amazing. This person responded to me on very quickly, actually quicker than I, I thought he would, or I didn't think he even would. So it was, uh, it was a big win for me knowing that if I have a question about media publicity, um, I could ask him and he would be more than happy to, to tell me the answer. Yeah. Oh man. Such a really, such a great example. All right. So through networking and just being bold at first, but then it, it sounds like it's almost natural now. You mm -hmm. just, Oh, this yeah. is someone that would be interesting to talk to. Let me see if they respond. And then something else that I, if I can't pull this out, you, it feels like you're pretty relentless. It's not like you send one email and you're done. If you really want to get through to someone, you check your Instagram because you have a STEM power her Instagram feed. And so people who like that and follow that and engage in your content, they're highly likely to want to engage further. And then yes. you also mentioned LinkedIn and Spotify. So you're looking at people who, who are doing podcasts or who are kind of creating content in this field. And then, of course, LinkedIn, all of those tools. I love it because each tool is reaches people in a slightly different way yes. and, and puts you gives you a chance to to really get through to people. Yeah, definitely. All right. So that's excellent. Let's talk about the growth of your company. Um, your nonprofit that you formed. And we already know kind of how you got the advisory board and how you got your executive team, that these are all you reaching out, networking, organizing. Tell us kind of what was it like at the beginning? How has it evolved and where are you at today? Well, at the at the beginning, it was a lot of foundation work, right? So what is the structure of this organization going to be? How do I want to, what is the mode in which I want to communicate what the organization's goals are um, and figuring out exactly what I wanted to include in it um, and sort of just really starting from scratch. And then I think once I was able to get that foundation down, which really didn't happen until I got my team, because they really helped me put all of these pieces together, things that I didn't really have time to do 
before um, because I was just doing it all by myself. I had to prioritize what I wanted to get done. And now with the team, the extra set of hands, I was able to sort of bring the things that I neglected earlier and, and just get those done. Um, and things that are important, like what is the um, what is the reach that we're going for? Or is there a certain demographic? Like those kinds of things. Who are we supposed to reach out to on like a daily basis, forge those connections, things that I sort of got to a point where I couldn't keep up with the amount of people that I had to reach out to and, and work with on, on a daily basis. So now I, I feel like I'm able to delegate that and prioritize in a better way while still accomplishing the things that I want to accomplish. Um, and so now I, I have, a, I guess I would say bigger, bigger dreams and bigger aspirations for the organization than I allowed myself to have before when I started. Um, so now I'm just thinking a lot bigger and on a bigger scale because I'm able to do that now. Um, and that all came from having that strong foundation, which I was able to establish after I got my team. So yeah, that's sort of been the biggest change. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you're thinking bigger, you're accomplishing more. And just some of the highlights that I'm aware of, I know this is just scratching the surface, but you have some people on your team that are excellent researchers, for example. And yes. by research, I mean, able to go find other people's research and, and pull it together and not like academic research, but um, yeah. But, like high school. I have, yeah, I have some excellent writers, excellent um, spokespeople, you know, that can really advocate for the organization. I think my writing style is is different than theirs. And it's just the job that they're put in the way that they write. It's just it fits for that. So um, I would have never been able to write an email like that or draft a uh, draft a report like that. So I think just having different perspectives has also really helped me understand the the scope of the organization and what we can really do with it. Yeah. And you've already mentioned that your role shifted from being a one woman show, right? Yes. All up to you and kind of overwhelming to delegating a whole lot of the responsibilities to allow the company to grow um, and so is there anything you want to say about how that evolution happened? Did, did that happen naturally or did you have an epiphany moment or anything that yeah, I, it's I, like, students feel like they need to do everything? And part of that's high school culture, right? Like teachers yeah. don't cheat, don't work together, you know, do your own work. And yeah. that's not real world, uh, you know, experience, but that is the high school culture. And so did you ever have kind of a, a can, do you have anything to share along the lines of how you evolved there? Yeah, I was very happy when I got, when I kind of put together my team, but then I was like, what do I give? Like, I don't have any work for them. Everything, I have to do everything. Like I have to oversee all of this. How am I supposed to give them all of this work? Like, no, they can't do it. So I had to sort of um, sit with it a little bit and be like, okay, well maybe maybe I can give this away. This is something that they, they can do, like writing emails to people or, or drafting. Or, or initially it was stuff that I was like, I don't really wanna do this, so I'm gonna give it to them um, and I'll just train them. Um, but then it sort of evolved into something like, this is really valuable things um, 
this is some valuable work that I think that this person could have really good insight in. And so I, I sort of opened myself up a little bit and I trained them how to, okay, how do I write a grant to, to this particular uh, thing? And, and even now everything comes back to me. I always draft, like proofread the drafts and make sure everything is good. And if I don't know the answers, I always um, ask a professional. So I'm always doing, I'm sort of that middle checkpoint that sort of looks at the drafts but also works with the professionals and make sure that the final draft is the final draft um, in anything really so it sort of took a little bit of time and i had to give them a little time to you know train them and sit next to them and be like this is how i want you to approach this um, but then they really all surprised me. I mean, the emails that I, the drafts that I read now are just amazing. The email drafts, the the grant drafts, it's almost no edits at all. So it's, it's really, it's, it's really grown a lot and it's become, they've become way more independent as their own, uh, as a team. So I'm very happy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they probably appreciate the fact that they can take ownership of these things yeah. and to micromanage. So, uh, Last kind of um, part, you know, point of, of evolution that I've seen, and maybe you have more that you'd like to add, but along the way, you've been a researcher, okay? Mm -hmm. You can to log hours in the laboratory. I don't think there's anyone on this planet who can log over a thousand hours in a biology laboratory if they don't love the learning and the growth that happens from the laboratory. You don't just do that because you're bored and, oh, let's go to the laboratory. Uh, and so you love it. You've loved mm -hmm. it for a long time. You're good at it. You've competed in competitions and where you present your findings. And a lot of people don't even know that these things exist, but they do. Yeah. Right? For researchers, you create posters and you present on, on your research. And there are even competitions for this. You've won a number of these competitions. We talked about this in a previous podcast. Um, you have been invited to go speak at Harvard College, you know, to, to teach how high school students can begin doing research or do more effective research. You've won thousands of dollars. Um, and it's even grown since the last time you and I spoke because yeah. I just got a WhatsApp message from you from ISEF. And I just about screamed like ISEF is amazing. And here you are winning awards and and walking across that incredibly, you know, grand stage at ISA. Yeah. Can you talk just a little bit about your evolution there from the research laboratory to the speaking competitions and and just share even for me I'm not sure exactly the end of the story for you. Tell tell us where you're at there. Music for this episode came from We Are Here by Declare P. I'm Steve Gardner. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening.